Well, I've had a very interesting week this week. As you all know, we were away last uh, weekend on, for Julie's 60th. As a family, we went away on a houseboat, which was pretty exciting. Benito managed to win one of those vouchers, the river vouchers, and so we got it half price, which was incredible. And uh, we had a lovely time. It was very relaxing on the river, very calming. And, uh, and then on the back of that, we got back Monday afternoon, uh, late Monday afternoon, and then the next morning after prayer space, I was off on a pastor's retreat. So I was thinking, this is going to be the best week ever. It's like, I've got a relaxing weekend on the river, and then our, our pastor's retreat um, was on uh, the river as well, in Wellington, so in a, a shack there. So that was nice, six of us pastors, and they call it a renewal retreat. And I, until, I've been on many of them, but it was this renewal retreat, I discovered what renewal is actually all about. It was very confronting and very challenging the whole time. So I, what I thought was going to be a relaxing week wasn't quite as relaxing. And that sometimes happens when God has a plan, isn't that right? And God has a plan and that God doesn't do things according to our schedule. And uh, so he, he um, started to do some stuff and uh, it was good in a strange sort of way. But uh, so this morning, my plan was to bring a message to you because I like to do this around this time of year, every year, before the AGM to remind us why we exist as a church. And so I'm still planning on doing that, but I want you to come on the journey with me. And even as we were singing the songs and what Benito shared at communion really lines up together with what I want to say, and we didn't have that planned. But uh, I want us to, to go on this journey to look at how we can actually live out what God has called us to. So why don't we just pray and we'll get straight into it. Lord God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this church. And God, I just pray right now that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear what you would want to say to us today. And don't, we pray that it doesn't just sit in our head or in the space around us, but it gets deep into our heart and transforms our thinking and transforms our lives to what you have called us to. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I say every year, our vision and our mission does not change as a church. As a, as a church in our existence as the Port Church, we've been doing it for about 13 years now. And the same mission, vision and mission statement we started with in 2010 still exists today. So I'll just remind you of that as we normally do. Our vision comes from 1 John 2.6, which is basically to live like Jesus lived. That's what we want to be. And it says in 1 John 2.6, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And so the, how we do that or how we actually live like Jesus lived is our mission, which says we are a church. You'll see it out in the foyer there. We are a church where loving God, loving people and loving the community we live in counts for everything. But here's the challenge. How do we actually live like Jesus lived. And along with that, how do we make loving God, loving each other, and loving our community count for everything? 
Because it's great to have these amazing statements, and, but how do we actually do it? How do we actually live it out? How do we begin to see it become a part of our lives? And I, I'm really aware of this because in our world, in the world we live in today, we, there is no support for us to do this. We live in a world that is contra-intuitive to that statement. We're not, we don't live in a world where people want to live like Jesus lived. Isn't that right? We don't live in a world that's about loving each other and about loving the community and about loving God. We don't live in a world like that. And so it's a challenge. How do we actually do this in the society that we live in, in the world that we live in? And uh, as I shared the other week, it's really important for us to understand that Jesus didn't just come to save us. Now you go, what are you talking about, Ben? Well, he, yes, he came to save us. He came to restore us back into relationship with God. He came to break down that barrier that was between humankind and God. Yes, he did. And that's fantastic. But he also came as an example to us. I share that scripture from Hebrews 2 where it talks about Jesus being the trailblazer, the one who blazes a trail to God. But in that same blazing of the trail it's he's like a pioneer and he's leading us and showing us how we can do life so the simple answer to my question is how do we actually live like Jesus lived how do we love each other how do we love God how do we love our community well the simple way that we do it is to look at how Jesus did it how did Jesus live like Jesus How did Jesus love God? How did Jesus love others? How did Jesus love his community? Because I believe in the example of his life, we get the answer for our own lives. Who's keen for that? Who's keen to hear it? Who's keen to understand it? So I want to take you on a little bit of a journey of Jesus' life. And we're going to start where his ministry began in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, verses twenty. 1 to 22, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So in this moment, when this is just before Jesus is about to embark on three and a half years or so of ministry, we have this encounter that Jesus has with God. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and the God, God the Father speaks out his affirmation of Jesus. And then, as we follow on for, from this in Luke chapter 4, It says then, straight after this, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was then what? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry, as you would be. So we see in these two verses, number one, Jesus was baptised. He has this encounter with God where he is, as it says there, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then as being filled with the Holy Spirit, he is then led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. 
And, and what we learn and what we begin to see as Jesus' example to us is that there's this dependence upon God. There's this dependence upon the Holy Spirit. There's this place in his life where he is, that he is not doing anything unless God is leading and guiding him and filling him. And if you read the next part after he's been tempted in Luke 14, it says, Then Jesus returned again in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went through all the surrounding region where he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. So, all of it, so we've seen him be baptized, we've seen him be filled, we've seen him being led. And now we see him in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of God. And, and this is his teaching in the synagogues. And, and this idea is that through this process now, what is he doing? He is, he's been loving God. And now he's beginning to love the community he lives in. He's beginning to give out. He's beginning to minister to those around him. And in the next few verses, it, it talks about the fact that, but now even more, <clears throat> the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So all of a sudden, we see him out there in his community loving people, seeing people get healed, seeing people be touched, his teaching, his guiding, his leading, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a great thing that we see. So whatever God does in our lives cannot be contained. It has to be shared with others. It has to be taken out beyond ourselves. And then, then something really interesting happens. Literally in the next verse. So all this great stuff is happening. So Jesus is seeing people get healed. He's seeing unclean spirits come out of people. He's seeing, uh, he's teaching God's word. He's, he's like, and people are lapping it up. They're just following him and they, they're going, this is amazing. This guy is incredible. Could he be the Messiah? All this sort of stuff. And then in, in, the, next, in the next verse, it says, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So in amongst all of this, all of a sudden Jesus withdraws into the wilderness again to pray. And it's really important for us to see this process and see how Jesus lived because if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we need to follow his example. And so Jesus knew that he couldn't maintain his ministry to others without the continued uh, presence of God in his life. So he couldn't keep doing what he was doing in ministry without having moments where he would encounter God afresh. And so that's why he would withdraw to pray and spend time with God. The Bible, this is just one verse, but it often talks about him withdrawing to a quiet place. And even to a barren place, like a wilderness, where he could experience God afresh. And in that experience, he would be empowered and enabled to do what God had called him to do again. This is the process. This is the example that Jesus has given us on how we can fulfill the vision and mission that he's given to us. 
So if we're to live like Jesus lived, this is he's showing us, this is how you do the Christian walk. This is how you live like me, and this is how you love God. This is how you love each other, and this is how you love the community you live in. We talked for months on spiritual practices, these practices that God has given us where we can encounter God. Most importantly, I think one that I've discovered even this week and over the last few weeks with the prayer spaces is that that spiritual practice of prayer, that place where we can come to God and experience him and know him and encounter him. And the, the important thing we need to remember in all of this, and Jesus' example shows us, is that we don't encounter God just for our own benefit. It's not just about us feeling good about ourselves. Oh God, come and bless me, come and fill me, come and give me everything I need, and then we just do life for ourselves. No, Jesus' example shows that he, as he encountered God, as he was filled with God's Spirit, as he was led by God's Spirit, in the power of God's Spirit, what did he do? He impacted his community. He, it, it filled his world. It touched people that he moved with and, and talked to and spent time with. That's what God and what Jesus has given us an example of, that we would know God so other people can know God. Do you get that? That we would know and encounter God, not just so that we would know God and encounter him, but that other people would also know God and encounter him as well through our own lives. A few years ago, I, I summed this up in a statement as a church and we added it to, to um, some of our promotional stuff and that is that because someone asked me one day, they said, how would you describe the poor church in a simple statement? You know, not a big, lengthy mission statement and vision statement, but just in a simple phrase, how you, would you describe it? And I went away and thought about it, and I came up with this statement that I believe is the best way we can describe the way we operate as a church, that we would be spirit-filled and community-driven, that we would be full of God and driven to help our community. That's what we exist for. Our church's vision is to live like Jesus lived. And our mission, as we've read it, is to love God, love each other, and love the community we live in. But as we read the Gospels and as we discover about Jesus, this is the pattern he lived by. That as we've just read, he got baptized, filled, empowered by God. He went out into his community, touched him, and then when he had to, he withdrew again to a place where he could encounter God afresh, be filled and refueled and renewed And then he went out into his community again to do what he was called to do. And this is the example that God has called us to. And what I want to encourage us with today is that this is the life God has called us to. That if we call ourselves Christians, that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, this this idea of knowing God, encountering God, experiencing God, and um, allowing God to lead our lives is so vitally important. But it can't be just contained for ourselves. It needs to be given to others as well. That God would, that we would know God so others can know God. Now, this is very, this very example we see very clearly also in the early church. We don't just see it in Jesus' life, that it makes sense that when Jesus died and resurrected and then went back to the Father, that the the example of Jesus' life that is best seen is in the early church. 
that as the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus to the world, that in the early church we see this exact same process. In, in Acts 2, if you know the story on the day of Pentecost, it says they were praying in the upper room where, um, where they'd been praying for days upon days upon days. And then all of a sudden it says a mighty rushing wind came and they, it, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and then the, the, the next step is that it couldn't be contained to that room. It didn't stay in that room. If you know the story, Peter, people saw what was happening and saw these people who were, who were filled with God's presence, saw enthusiasm. They even spoke in other tongues and, and all these things happened. And then they go, what's going on here? And Peter gets up and preaches the good news. And on that day, they say 3,000 were added to the church in just men. So who knows however many more, including women and children. But something amazing happened. And, and so the early church did not, it were not contained to the upper room. They went out into their community. Once they were filled with God's presence, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it couldn't be contained and it was taken into the world around them. And then it's really interesting because as, as we know, when God starts doing stuff, there's always opposition. Isn't that right? We experience that in... In our own experience, we started prayer spaces, you know, about a month ago now. And as soon as we started, there was different people in our community that arced up and didn't like it. And they weren't happy about it and caused some, made threats and all sorts of stuff for some reason. And out of nowhere, the only difference that had changed is we'd made a focus to pray. And when you do that, things do happen. Not only good, but also challenging as well. And so a couple of the apostles get arrested and get thrown into prison. And so the, what happens is the church is praying and all of a sudden um, the apostles have been miraculously released and they show up and knock on the door and they're like, what, what are you doing here? Oh, you've been praying and we got released. So that's pretty good. So God was working. But, but then at that moment it says... This is a couple of chapters on from the day of Pentecost. It says they were afraid and worried. What do we do now? Because the, the, the chief priest has told them, you must not preach about Jesus. You must not do these things. And so they're going, where do we go? What do we do now? Because there was all sorts of conflict. There was all sorts of opposition. And so they're going, you know, we know we want to follow Jesus. We want to do what he wants. But if they're going to kill us if we keep doing that. And so in... In Acts 4.31, it says, then, what did they do? They prayed. They had a prayer meeting. They had a get-together. They prayed. And the place they were, where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And, they, and then what did they do? And then they spoke the word of God with boldness. So even though the authorities said, don't preach about Jesus, don't tell people about Jesus... They, they spent time, they went to God, just like Jesus would go to God, draw aside, they went to God and prayed. And in that moment, they were filled afresh with him. And then they received the boldness and the power to then go, say, well, we, we're going to obey what Jesus said. We're not going to worry about the consequences. This is the process that God has called us to. They, this church was spirit-filled and community-driven. This, and this is what we strive to be. 
the really interesting thing about this, because there's a lot of conjecture and discussion around this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we know that the Holy Spirit is given to us when we're saved. But if you look at the Greek, so I'm going to give you a bit of Greek today. The Greek word there is pimplemi. You want to say that with me? Pimplemi. I didn't hear that very Pimp. Just say pimp. Lemmy. Bring it together. Fantastic. Good job. So what does pimp lemmy mean? It means to be wholly affected, controlled and influenced. And in this case, if you're filled with the spirit, that means you are controlled or wholly affected, controlled and influenced by the Spirit. This is the idea. This is the, what it's saying is that as they were praying, they were putting their attention on the Holy Spirit and He responded and filled them and they were then in a place where they were saying, Holy Spirit, whatever you want me to do, I will do. You're, you are the one that will influence my life. I will not allow what other people say to influence my life. I will only allow you. I, I will be wholly affected by you and you alone. Now, this is where it gets interesting because in a couple of a chapter later in that book of Acts, this word pimplemi is used again, but in a very different context. I want to share it with you because it helps us understand how this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit works. It says here, it's the, the apostles have gone out and started preaching again and the, the priest, the high priest, gets upset about it. And so it says there, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and what does it say? And they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Same word right there, filled with, pimplemi. So what does that mean? They were wholly affected and controlled and influenced by not the spirit, but by what? Indignation. What is indignation? It simply means jealousy. They, the jealousy within them, the jealousy that was in their heart, was the thing that drove their lives. And when it was um, confronted and something happened in their life, it rose up and it filled every part of their life. They were wholly affected by it. So much so that it, it, it affected their actions and they grabbed these apostles and threw them in, pres- in prison because of what they were filled with. This is really important to understand because the Jews understood this concept of the heart as being the center of your lives, the throne room of your lives. So if in their situation, the thing that was at the center of their lives, at the heart of their lives, was jealousy, comparison, wanting to be better than someone else, wanting to be in power and control. And if anyone threatened that, they, this jealousy would rise up and they would do whatever it took to make sure it got its way. Isn't that interesting? So think of that for us as Christians. We receive the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. 
when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, it says we will be saved. And the Spirit of God comes into us. Now here's the challenge. As we allow the Spirit of God to, as we read before, Pimplemi, wholly affect, control and influence our lives, then we will be led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and it will fill every aspect of our lives. It will, we say, God, I want you to be Lord, when we allow him to sit on the throne of our lives. And, this is, and we know that God gives us the Holy Spirit when we're saved because the Holy Spirit's job or his role is to help us know God. Another way they describe it is it's to help us or to reveal God to us that he would reveal to us the truth of who God is in Jesus. And so as the Holy Spirit was in, in us, he does that. And Jesus modelled us this same way, and, and his model to us or his example to us was to show us that a practice like prayer is a way that God can encounter us. And that when we pray, we don't just come to God and pray for our needs and I, I want this or I need that or I need this. Like that widow, we come to God to say, God, I acknowledge that you are the Lord of my life, that you sit on the throne of my life. And I'm praying today that you would fill every part of my life in such a way that it, it would affect the way I live. This is what we need to be praying to God first and foremost it's not about um, God I need this today I need that today because what is the point of that if we have not yielded our whole life to God in the first place why does it say in Romans 12 1 I beseech you brethren to give your bodies as a living sacrifice laying your life and putting it in God's hand and saying God you can do whatever you want with it because that's what Jesus did that's how he prayed not my will be done, but yours. And this is our challenge because some of us are struggling in our lives because we haven't actually, we've got the Spirit of God in us, but we haven't given him full control. We haven't yielded it all to him. We still hold on to things ourselves. And God wants us to be totally affected by him. He wants us to be wholly affected by him. He wants us to be influenced by him and to at the end of the day, to be spirit-controlled as well. That we would be, as it says in Galatians, that we would walk in the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit. This is what God has called us to do. And the question is, when we pray, do we invite the Spirit of God to rise up in us, to fill every aspect of our lives so that He can drive our actions in a way that it would affect our world for the kingdom of God. I love what Eugene Peterson says about prayer. He says, prayer requires that we deal with God. Who are you praying to? But when you deal with God, you need to understand that this God that we deal with he is determined on nothing less than the total renovation of our lives. God does not want you to stay the same. 
He does not, he has a plan for you, he has a purpose for you, and that purpose is to love him, love each other, and love the world we live in, to live like Jesus lived. That's his purpose for us. But we need to understand that it requires a whole renovation of our lives. And the only way your life will be renovated is when you decide who you're going to allow to fill it. This is our challenge. This is my question for us today as I've come to a close. What or who are we going to let fill our lives? Because it's our decision and our choice. Yes, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. But we, will we allow him to fill our lives? Will we actually give him control? Will we actually allow him to be the number one influence on our lives? Will we come to him and pray and say, God, I don't just want to have you in me. I want you to fill me so it affects the world around me. This is our challenge, church. If we're going to be a spirit-filled, community-driven church, will we allow God to fill our lives? Will we allow him to be the number one influence on our lives? Will our cry of our hearts be, God, not come into me, not fill me as such, but God, rise up within me and fill every part of my life. Not, my, not just my Sunday life. Not just when I show up to church and look nice and neat and tidy and, and clean and everything looks like it's in the right spot. But what about your Monday morning life? What about your school life? What about your work life? Every part of your life, will you allow him to fill every part of your life? Will you invite him? Will you say, God, I need you to fill every part of my life. Come and take control. Come and lead me as you led Jesus. Come and fill me as you fill Jesus. Come and, come and guide me and empower me as you did with Jesus. But it starts in our prayer life. It starts in our conversations with God. It starts by talking to him. We're going to come around a time of prayer right now just to finish. And I want to create an, a space and an opportunity for you to respond, to respond to Jesus. That if you say, I want Jesus to be in control totally. I want him to fill every aspect of my life. I want pimplemi. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that it affects everything I do. I want him to be my first and foremost priority. I want to invite you to respond today, however you feel comfortable, but to respond and say, God, I need you. I, I've, I'm t tired of giving you just bits of my life. I want to give you my whole life, every aspect of my life. Let me say this. It's one of the reasons we've created the prayer spaces on Tuesday and Thursday to be spaces where we can come to God and be refreshed, to be renewed, to be a place where we can experience God and say, God, I want you to feel every aspect of my life. So when I go out from here, 
I know you're leading me and guiding me and taking me where I need to be. Helping me do what I need to do. Helping me to live a life that brings honour and glory to you. This is why I create this space right now where we can respond to God because God's speaking to us, church. So I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. For some of you, this this may be a new thing. You may have never actually given your life to God or put it in His hands. Or maybe you did it a long, long time ago and you've sort of not been living the life that God's called you to. I want to invite you into this space to say, God, I put my life in your hands again. I I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus, you are God, you are Lord. And I ask you to sit on the throne of my life and come and take your rightful place. If that's you, I just invite you to do that. Just pray and say, God, I give you my life. I put it in your hands. But for most of us here, we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. And I hope, I don't, I don't preach this message to be condemning, but I hope it would be encouraging that right now where you're at, that God still has more for you. He's not finished the renovation of your life. And He wants to renovate your life to the extent that you could never imagine. But it starts by us saying, God, fill me. God, wholly affect my life. God, influence and control my life. Every part of it. Fill every aspect. Not just Sundays, not just some days, but every day, Lord God. So I want to invite you as the band comes and we're going to sing this song just want to invite you to respond to him in some way today to say God I give you my whole life maybe you want to stand and raise your hands you can do that maybe you want to kneel where you are you can do that maybe you want to come and stand up the front you're welcome to do that but in your heart in that place in you I invite you to say Just like Jesus did, he went into the wilderness and prayed. Just say, God, I need you and I want you to fill every part of my life. So I'd welcome you and invite you to pray that prayer with me as we sing.